Good afternoon, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Good afternoon, Kyle. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. We don't uh, have any guests. going to be open show the whole program, so uh, call in. I'll be with you from your 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock hours. Your call-in number, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, or you could tweet me as well at Rob Port. I'll, I'll admit I am I am suffering from a little bit of a head cold today. So if I'm if I'm sounding a little rough, or <laughs> a little rougher than usual, that's why. Um, I there's nothing worse, Kyle. I think than like a spring cold. I, I well I say that there's a lot of things worse than it. But <laughs> spring colds suck. I've I've been battling one myself. I don't know whether it's a spring cold or if I'm just having allergies. But it could be one of the two. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's less than ideal. So I I, I want to talk about some some national. Usually we kind of hit on on state level stuff, but I want to hit on on some a few national stories that I've seen. Um, one is obviously one of the most controversial aspects of President Donald Trump's candidacy and and pre- presidency has been the travel ban right Kyle I mean I I think that was when 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 President Trump said some of the things that he said about banning Muslims from the country and he did I mean he did say that I I thought for sure nobody who said that could get elected president of the United States Um, I I mean there were quite a few a number of things that he said that I thought that same thing but we we elected him anyway, and which which might be a testament. I I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to relitigate all that. His his travel bans are, are his travel ban is before the courts. And yesterday, in the uh, in the Fourth Circuit, there were oral arguments, and it was it was interesting because the ACLU was there, right? Because they filed suit against the travel ban, and they argued. Kyle, I'm I'm not kidding. They argued. Or I guess they didn't argue, but they responded when a judge asked them. They said that they would consider the travel ban constitutional if the same policy had been issued by, say, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, word for word. It would be constitutional if they submitted the policy, but not because Donald Trump submitted the policy. Can you believe that? Well, that's not right. <laughs> it's... Well, that's what they said. And it's it's interesting because the reason why we've reached that point is because the lower courts, when they have ruled on on President Trump's ban, what they have done is they have not ruled on the text of the ban itself, but instead the courts have accepted the argument that because of comments that Trump has said around the travel ban, it's it's his comments that he made on the campaign trail, not the travel ban itself, that make it unconstitutional. So what they're saying is the intent of the travel ban is discriminatory because Donald Trump said some things about like banning Muslims from from the country. So that's that's the argument that the opponents of the travel ban made. They didn't argue the text of the policy itself, but rather the context of Trump's comments. And now we're at a point where this is the logical conclusion. So, okay, if President Obama had issued this, well, then it would be constitutional because President Obama wasn't saying things about Muslims on the campaign trail or in speeches or whatever. 
that's that's where we're at at this. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I mean, this is these are the legal questions before the Fourth Circuit Court right now. I mean, this is this is what's happening, and it it, it makes me think of some things. I mean, what if what? If, I mean, because because Trump has said very contradictory things about Muslims. I mean, on, on one hand, he's he's talked about you know an absolute ban on Muslims coming into the country. On the other hand, he said he loves Muslims. He thinks they're great people. He wouldn't have a problem putting them in the cabinet. So, I mean, if, if we're going to, if we're going to rule on the legality of a piece of Trump policy, then which of his comments matter, right? Is it, is it the, the comments he made about banning Muslims from the country? Or is it the comments he made that he wouldn't mind having co- Muslims in his cabinet? How far back in time? Is there a cure? I mean, is, is there something that Donald Trump could say now to, re, to I guess, repudiate? Like, if he apologized for his com- comments during the campaign trail, would that magically make this policy constitutional? I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I, I, I think that's obviously the risk you run when you make a legal decision based not on the text of the policy, but on, I, I, I guess, the, the, the political machinations of the person implementing the policy which seems absurd to me i mean it's i i don't care who it is i don't care who the politician is if you're gonna if it's a legal question about the constitutionality of a piece of policy then the question should be the policy right i, I mean it, it's almost like what's what's being revealed here is that the legal argument against trump's travel ban policy is not really about the policy itself but trump and the fact that he says things that makes people mad. And it's, it's, it's almost like this is a microcosm for the Trump era, right? It's, it's in a nutshell what so much of the hatred of Trump is, is all about. Donald Trump, I, I, all the time, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's just because he's Trump, he gets stuff. I, for example, one of the things, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not here to defend Trump's honor, I just want to point some things out. What I hear all the time is that Trump is anti-gay, he's anti-transsexuals, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, but in reality, Trump is the first Republican president elected who supports gay marriage, right? But because Trump has become this sort of, um, you know, avatar for everything the left hates. It's almost like what his actual policies are don't matter. It's it's like we just don't like that guy. And it doesn't matter what the actual given policy question is that's being debated because it originated with Trump, it is thus fascism. I mean it's that's what's going on with this travel ban. I mean that that was literally the legal arguments before the 4th circuit yesterday. And I think it's emblematic of everything that we're seeing with Donald Trump nationally. I mean I mean it's this is where we are with the country. It doesn't matter what Trump does because it's Trump. There's a faction of Americans that are just going to hate it. Doesn't matter. Trump could be out saying the sky's blue. And there'd be people saying no it's not you dirty fascist. <laughs> More to come straight ahead 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Am I right or wrong? Love to hear from you. Email talk at wday.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. All right.
Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can uh, send me tweets, too, at Rob Port. We're talking about Donald Trump, and his his travel ban was before the Fourth Circuit yesterday, uh, obviously being challenged in court by the ACLU uh, and other groups. Uh, they are they're arguing that, and and again, what, what's what's been revealed in the appeal here is is that the, the lower courts that struck down Trump's travel ban were not so much doing so based on the actual policy of the ban, but instead were were doing so based on Trump's comments about Muslims entering the country. They're essentially saying that the ban itself is not necessarily discriminatory, but because Trump has made what could be interpreted as discriminatory comments in the past, the motivation for the policy was discriminatory, which is hugely problematic. Uh, Emailer says, because President Trump opened up a can of whoop-ass on the liberals, they are going to... Fight along with the liberal media every chance they get, even happens locally. Uh, some of the talk shows are ridiculous in the rhetoric and won't even give the conservatives a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's yes, I'm, I'm more on that here in a moment. I got another story I want to hit related to that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think it's funny. This is from I'm going to read an excerpt. This is from The New York Times report of the Fourth Circuit hearing yesterday. Uh, I quote, Judge Robert B. King suggested that judges could not ignore Mr. Trump's statements and motives. He never repudiated what he said about the Muslim ban, Judge King said to the president. But Judge Paul V. Niemeyer said Mr. Trump's official actions should not be assessed based on his earlier statements. Can we look at his college speeches, Judge Niemeyer asked? How about his speeches to businessmen 20 years ago? Jeffrey B. Wall, the acting United States Solicitor General, said the court should not look behind the revised executive order to assess Mr. Trump's motives. Most of Mr. Trump's statements were made before he took the oath of office, formed a government, and took advice from cabinet officials. Candidates talk about things on the campaign trail all the time, Mr. Walsh said. And and you know what? I I would argue you ought to just look at the policy, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a piece of policy, right? If it's discriminatory, then it's discriminatory, right? And 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 make that argument based on the policy. Don't make the argument based on what some some politician said on the campaign trail. And I'm not discounting what Trump said. They concerned me to the point where I couldn't bring myself to vote for Donald Trump. So I'm not discounting those things. They were personally persuasive to me. I didn't vote for the guy. But I I think it's absurd that this legal argument against the policy that he campaigned on and he's trying to implement is now being based not on the policy itself, but on his campaign statements. I I think that's absurd, and I think it's indicative of where the left is at with Trump, where it doesn't really matter what the actual policy is. It doesn't matter what the actual debate is. We're just gonna they're just gonna oppose him because he's Trump. It's absurd. And by the way, speaking of that, there's a Manhattan real estate investor who is going to start a super PAC aimed at defending Obamacare, and and he's going to stage mock funerals as a tactic. This is from Politico. I quote, we must be far more visceral, said Jason Haber, a Manhattan real estate investor who started a super PAC that he said will host mock funerals, including, quote, tombstones, coffins, even eulogies, later this month for the, quote, constituents that will be killed 
as a result of losing access to health care. I'm just can we just pause for a moment and just reflect on the fact that people are, are just blithely throwing around as a fact the idea that reforming health care policy is going to kill people? They're just stating that as a fact. I mean, it's been all over the place. It's remarkable that this is the talking point. And it's 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 also kind of funny because I, I wonder what is going through the minds of our friends on the left when they're doing this sort of thing. Right? I mean, is, was was there something about the 2016 cycle that convinced Democrats that the problem is is they they weren't being obnoxious enough? I mean, a lot of the people who voted for Donald Trump, their complaint was a lot of them felt persecuted. Now, whether you think it's fair that they should feel persecuted or not, a lot of them did. And it has to do a lot with a lot of stuff uh, related to, to political correctness and lecturing people about their privilege and everything else. And so, I, 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 to me, I, what, I, what I have taken from it is that a lot of people just kind of feel like the left has gotten very, very obnoxious, that they have gotten so overboard, got so overboard with the political correctness and everything else, they're just tired of it. Tired of it to the point where Trump's sort of brash, what I would describe as crude and, and sometimes childish antics, became appealing because they were antics done in direct repudiation of the political correctness stuff, right? I mean, it's it's Trump was just sort of, I'm going to say things that offend you and I don't even care about it. And that appealed to people because they were tired of, of how obnoxious the left was about all this stuff. And now what we're seeing, we're seeing the Democrats out there cursing more, right? That's a new thing where they're, they're dropping like F-bombs and stuff in speeches. We got stuff like this where they're going to be hosting like mock funerals for people supposedly killed by health care reform that, by the way, hasn't even been enacted yet. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's a long way from being enacted. This is where we're at? I, I, do you think this is going to be a winning strategy for Democrats? I don't. Ken from Fargo, you're up. Yeah, it sounds kind of harsh, but and, and it came from I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I think, from maybe somebody in the New York Times or article, and they said, for, for a lot of conservatives, they didn't like Trump. I don't particularly like Trump, but he said they, the, the author wrote... He was our murder weapon against, you know, a lot of what you're talking about. And, and it's not like, you know, it came down to the binary choice. Well, Hillary, sit home, or Trump. And, you know, I, I, I can't say that, 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 that Trump kind of baffles me, other than the fact that about a year ago, this one person I was emailing said, oh, he, there's no way, there's no way. And I said, but he's still around. He's the guy standing. You know, how, how do you account for that? And, and if you don't... If you look at reality and say, well, how can that be? And then just keep fluttering around rather than saying, how can it be? Really? And you know, you. I think, you're, you know, then you say, well, what, what is it that all these people, they're not in love with him. He's not Reagan. <laughs> but right. It's hard, you know, out there. And you got you to be one or the other. And, and that's it's binary choices now. And, and he's the one, even though he's rude and, and uh, 
vulgar and brash. He's a wrecking ball. Even he's, 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 he's a wrecking ball. I think the people who yeah. voted for Trump voted <laughs> yeah. for a wrecking ball to knock down all the stupid, obnoxious talking points that the left has been pumping out for years. I think that's it in a nutshell. Ken, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. More to come on the Rob Report right after this. Stay tuned. Open phones. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Those are your call-in numbers. Email talk at WDAY.com. Open phones this uh, this show today. So if you want to uh, call in, email, tweet me too, at Rob Port. We can uh, certainly get your thoughts and opinions in. Uh, Kyle, I feel like I'm living in the upside down right now. Why is that? Well, you know... Say hi to Barb for me. Yeah, it's a Stranger Things reference for those of you out there. And if you haven't watched that yet on Netflix, you should. It's a great show. Um, so, listen, I, I, I think it's probably pretty clear that I'm not generally a fan of the job that the EPA has been doing in years past. Um, not because I'm against protecting the environment. I, I just, I think, I think that the, I, I think that the, the noble cause of protecting the environment has been perverted to instead impose an ideological point of view on things like energy development, right? I, I think, I think, for instance, I think President Barack Obama hated oil and hated coal. I think those were ideological positions, and he used the EPA's regulatory muscle as a way to crack down on those industries, right? Not, not, not to pursue ways to where we can maybe mine coal and do it cleaner and, and improve the impacts on the environment. Not, not from that perspective, but to just drive them out of business. I think that was the goal. And it's been interesting because all of a sudden, I mean, I, I've, I've in years past, I mean, I've joked that North Dakota's pastime is like suing the federal government, right? I mean, we do it. North Dakota's done it a lot, right? Where, where our state leaders, Attorney General Wayne Stenjum, Governor Dalrymple, Governor Bergen, Burgum, Governor Hoven, you know, they have they have long and in our legislature has has long been of the opinion that the federal government overreaches in in many ways that impact important industries in our state. Oil, coal, agriculture. And so it's it's sort of interesting. You know, on on the blog about a week or so back, I flagged a letter that that Trump's EPA head Scott Pruitt had sent to Governor Doug Burgum. And in the letter, he had said something akin to the era of coercive federalism is over, which I, I thought was pretty remarkable. I mean, it, it seemed to me to indicate a, a new cooperative spirit between the EPA and the state of North Dakota. I think that's a positive development. Well, today, the EPA comes out and they issued... A pro, well, they, they, they issued their, they, they communicated their intent to approve a program for carbon capture and sequestration here in North Dakota. And this is a big deal for North Dakota. I, I, I realize it probably seems a little down in the weeds, but essentially what we're talking about is the possibility that we could capture carbon that is being emitted by coal-fired power plants in the state, capture that carbon, and then turn around and use it in the oil industry 
to inject down into the earth to enhance oil recovery, right? So we get more oil out of the ground. We help oil production, but we do it in a way that leaves that carbon captured into the ground. So instead of the carbon going up into the air, it instead gets injected down into the ground. We use it to to push oil out of the ground, uh, and it sure seems like a win-win. The state of North Dakota had submitted an application for this program to the EPA all the way back in 2013, four years ago. It languished there, but now under Trump today, the EPA moved to, to, to begin the approval process for the program. The reason why I feel like I've, I'm, I'm living in the upside down is as I have written about these things, I have gotten not one, but two Twitter shout outs, shout outs from the EPA. Like the official EPA account is now like retweeting my posts. Not retweeting, I guess, just Twitter linking them or whatever. I don't know what the term is, but I I, I got to admit, Kyle, I have been blogging for 14 years. An official Twitter link from the EPA is not something that I had ever counted on receiving. That's pretty cool, actually. It is. And and honestly, I mean, listen, I, I realize that, that the environmental issues can be, well, what isn't divisive in American politics these days? But it is it is very divisive, and I get that. But... I, I wonder before people go off the rails and, and start, you know, saying that, that the EPA is now in bed with the oil industry or whatever other wild accusations we're going to hear, maybe we could reflect on the idea that a cooperative relationship between the states and the federal government when it comes to environmental regulations, rather than a, a combative and litigious relationship, do you think maybe, do you think maybe that that might be a healthier overall reality for, for the environment. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, to me, I mean, you know, obviously we're going to have, you know, maybe, maybe different people are going to have differences of opinion on what policies ought to be. And certainly Trump has his policy agenda and he's going to implement that through the APA, much like president Barack Obama did. But generally speaking, I mean, if we can sort of cease the hostilities and find a way to work together, I, I, I think the North Dakota is. I think the state of North Dakota is as interested in protecting the environment as anybody else. So, isn't this a better? Is it, is it, is it, I mean, isn't this a better overall situation? I think it is. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three tonight. By the way, there was a pretty remarkable point of view um, expressed in, in the press release today. I mean, this this is coming from. Scott Pruitt. This is a quote from Scott Pruitt in the EPA press release. It says, I quote, North Dakotans know better than anyone the needs of their environment, economy, and communities. I. It sounds so simple, right? I mean, it sounds like just a simple statement, but what a sea change. Can you imagine the head of the EPA saying that under President Barack Obama? Can you imagine Gina McCarthy coming out and saying, well, you know, North Dakota knows best how to protect their environment. You know, we ought to work with them and, and let them take the lead. And that's essentially what we're doing with this carbon sequestration program. The EPA is signing off on it and saying, North Dakota, take the lead. Go ahead. Pursue this. See if it's something that can work. What is, I, I can't imagine any head of the EPA in, in recent memory saying something like that. And yet here we are. And, and it's... If, if, if there's one thing, and, and we just got through a couple of segments where we're talking about President Trump and talking about all the ways in which 
he is off-putting, right? All the untoward things that he does, and, and trust me, I get it. I read his Twitter account. I watch his interviews. He makes me cringe a lot. I am still not comfortable with him being president. But what has me increasingly on his side is the fact that we are it's it's like he's he's take I I referred to him as a wrecking ball to for political correctness. And another way he's a wrecking ball for this sort of administrative state, right? Where where all the power was being accumulated in federal in the federal government and Washington DC was making these one size fits all policy decisions for the entire country. I mean, you want to know what led to an uprising of populism that put Trump in the White House? It is the arrogance of trying to govern a country as large and diverse as our country is in every way that a country can be large and diverse and I'm talking population, demographics, geography, all of that stuff, trying to govern that in a one-size-fits-all manner from Washington, D.C. I mean, when people rail about the elites, I don't think that's just a talking point. I think that's people in places like North Dakota who are trying to farm their land or pump their oil or mine their coal and are a little tired of bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. telling them how to do it, of getting in their way, or, or, or even worse, Implementing rules and implementing regulations in a way that doesn't seem to be protecting the environment, right? Doesn't seem in pursuance of any real policy goal, but rather an unstated goal of destroying the very industry that's being regulated. This is huge what Donald Trump is doing with a lot of this stuff. And I know the left's not going to like it that much, but if he keeps pushing in this direction... All the other stuff, all the other parts of his personality and, and all the stuff that makes you cringe almost kind of feels worth it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. So I want to I, I want to get in one last thing. Because we've been we've been, I, this show, I, if there's a theme to this show so far, I, I think it's this I, I, I think it's this idea of, of, of how counterproductive some of the left's antics are in, in terms of the, the political correctness, the overuse of, of the regulatory state. I think people just got fed up with it. They voted for somebody they felt was going to take a wrecking ball to it, and that wrecking ball is Donald Trump. And even though he makes a lot of us cringe, he's making the right people cringe too. <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's the way of looking at it. Um, I, another example of this I, I think is the, the recent Jimmy Kimmel thing. And, and, and listen, th- this is an emotionally fraught topic because, uh, you know, as a father, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to go through and to be worried about the health of your child. I am so happy that, that Mr. Kimmel's child is, is, is apparently doing fine and, and got the treatment that he needed, and that's that's wonderful. Um, I'm glad that there was a positive outcome for Jimmy Kimmel. What, what drives me nuts is yet another vapid lecture from a, a celebrity about w- what is really 
complicated policy. And I, I, I say that not to suggest that, that Kimmel is incapable of making good points about public policy. What, what drives me nuts about this is this implicit assumption that we should give him, seed to him, the moral high ground on a complicated policy issue because he told an emotional story. Right? He comes out, he says something very emotional, and he's an entertainment guy, so he knows how to deliver a line. Right? And I'm sure it was emotional for him. I, that was unfair of me. That was unkind. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sure it was legitimately emotional that Jimmy Kimmel's, the, the health implications of, of, of Jimmy Kimmel, that situation, I'm sure was emotional for him. I, I don't doubt that for a heartbeat. But that doesn't make him right about health care policy. And it doesn't mean that, that we have to, you know, there was a Louis, Republican senator from Louisiana, Bill Cassidy, who went on a show, and now they're talking about applying the Kimmel test the public policy, which I guess is something akin to, uh, you know, anybody who needs care should get the care, uh, you know, shouldn't be denied care just because they can't afford it. Um, you know, and, and, and which, you know, Jimmy Kimmel himself is kind of saying, well, you know, we ought to just stick with the, the status quo. And I would point out that the status quo doesn't even meet the Kimmel test. According to the CBO, some 26 million Americans don't have health insurance despite years of Obamacare being policy. And by the way, that number is expected to increase by two million over the next decade. Healthcare is policy is, is as as policy is is hugely complicated. Health insurance is hugely complicated. And what drives me nuts is how much of our public debate about these things is not being driven by informed comment so much as by entertainers. And I'm lumping a lot of people in the entertainers category. Jimmy Kimmel's one, John Oliver's one, right? All, all, all the talk shows that are the, you know, these sort of uh, snide rants. I mean, those, those aren't, those aren't really informative. Those are polemics. This isn't illuminating. This isn't helpful. Right? I mean, I, what, what, what did Jimmy Kimmel really add to the debate? No, no, nobody should be denied care that they need because they can't pay. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? How do we operate? How do we provide something as complex as medical care is? And it is complex. I mean, you think about all the research and the science that goes in just to developing the technologies and the treatments and the medicines and the techniques that our medical professionals use every day. Who is going to pay for all that? There is a cost to all of that. And we have to be able to price those services appropriately so that those costs are covered. Both so that those services could continue to be provided, but also so that we could put in the sort of research and development it takes to keep improving them. You must have the price signals. And oh, by the way, we don't apply this standard anywhere else. I would argue that food and shelter are generally as as important as health care, if not more so, right? I mean, you might be able to survive for a while if you don't get your kidney out, but you're definitely going to die if you don't eat. you got to have food. And yet grocery stores aren't in the habit of just handing out free food. you got to pay. You want to go into the grocery store? You want to go into a restaurant? you got to pay. Now, obviously, there's programs that, you know, soup kitchens and the like where food is donated, and I'm sure grocery stores participate in that, and that's fine. And we also do the same thing with free health care clinics and, and things like that. 
But this idea that on a wide scale, people who need care shouldn't have to pay for it or, 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 or this, this further disconnect of need from cost is dangerous. It really is because it, 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 it has implications for the cost of care for everybody else. It has implications for the improvement of healthcare, the advancements of medical science. But the thing is, is everybody's clapping along, right? Because Jimmy Kimmel told a sad, sad story. And because of his emotion, which I, which again is heartfelt and I'm glad everything is okay with his son. And it makes me happy to hear that news. But I am tired of this idea of, 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 of people getting the moral high ground and then all of a sudden we can't question their policy pronouncements. What Jimmy Kimmel is saying about health insurance policy, health care policy is wrong. He is wrong on the facts. It is shallow. It is vapid. It is not illuminating. It is not helpful to developing good policy in this regard. But yet because of our fascination with celebrity... It gets an outsized amount of attention. That's it for the Rob Report today. Remember, you can always catch me right here on WDAY, 1 to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Jay Thomas Show, coming up next. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.